I will start by saying that the issue with the songs this morning was 100% my fault. <laughs> <laughs> so blame it on me. Um, last week when I was preparing uh, for the sermon, I was really kind of like I had a rough week. And then as I was teaching on Sunday, I realized part of the reason why maybe I was having a rough week was because some of the things that I was processing are things that you all are feeling. And I noticed this morning, just in my own body, I feel a little bit anxious, feel a little bit stressed. So I don't know if that's something that's, um, that's just me or maybe we're a little bit anxious because we're talking about trauma, we're talking about difficult things, and that's, that's pretty heavy stuff. So I thought maybe I would start with a, a prayer, if I had anything selfishly for me, if that's okay, but also for the rest of us. So would you pray with me? Um, God, I thank you that you have created a safe place, a safe community, and a safe family um, to worship you, but then also to hear your word and to know how you meet us in some of our most broken places. I thank you that you are um, so um, faithful to us, and I pray that we could see this morning your faithfulness. Um, I pray that this morning we would experience um, a sense of healing, whether it's the first step towards healing or maybe step 30, I don't know, but that there would be a deeper sense of healing in, in us as individuals and also as a community. Um, help us to be vulnerable. I know that uh, what we learned last week is that um, in broken places, we like to put up guards and walls and protection. And so I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be vulnerable this morning um, so that we could be a little bit more ready for what you might uh, have to offer us today. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Um, so last week we talked, I, I never really actually used the language marred image, which, you know, that's like the title series, and I didn't even do that. So what kind of public speaker am I, I guess? I don't know. Um, but the idea being is that um, through the sins of other people, uh, we experience brokenness. There's this image of who God is, is, is shattered. And so we have a, a disrupted view of God and his character, of humanity and their character, and even ourselves as individuals. And I ended last week during the announcements with some questions. Um, go ahead, you can put those up, Tom, just as to refresh us. Um, so, oh yeah, thanks, Brett. Before you say that, um, I, Brett has the books back there, and I'm going to point them out in a little bit, but thank you for saying that because I would have forgotten. Okay, so these are the questions. It said, how are you hurting? Why are you hurting? Who hurt you? How does that impact your relationships? And how does that impact the way that you see and receive God? And so the idea behind these questions was that maybe you would take an opportunity this week to just kind of process that. Um, maybe you could only get to how are you hurting, and that was too much. And you're like, okay, I'm done for the week. Um, and maybe you made it all the way down. Um, but my hope was is that through these questions, or th even through the sermon last week, if that was the most that we could handle, is that it would start to um, kind of allow us and give us strength to face some of the difficult things that we've experienced in our lives and, and the ways that they've impacted us. So having said that, I do have a question for you, not to answer these, but the question is, what does the sin of others and trauma do to us? So maybe, go ahead, you can put that up there for me, Tom. So maybe by looking at these, you notice that the sin of others or even just trauma, because like I mentioned last week, Sometimes we just experience trauma or loss, and it has nothing to do with the sins of other people. It can just be a tragic loss, for example. That's one of the ways. Um, and that's traumatizing to us, and that certainly impedes 
how we relate to God and how we relate to other people. So, what does the sin of others and trauma do to us? So, of course, that requires a little bit of vulnerability, but you're around people that you trust, hopefully. <laughs> um, what did you notice this week, or even when I was uh, teaching last week, what sort of impact does it have on you, the sin of others and trauma? That could be emotions, that could be thoughts. Um, sure, go ahead and take a minute, just kind of share with one another what this does to you, and then we'll come back around, Okay. So take a moment. What does the sin of others and trauma do to us? So let's come back together for a minute. Um, what are some of the things... For those of you that feel comfortable sharing, what are some of the things that you noticed uh, about the sin of other people or trauma? What does it do to you or to us? Anybody? Makes you cynical. Okay. Mm. Put up walls. Less trustful of other people. Okay. Makes you feel responsible when you're not. Mm. Okay. What else? Sometimes the PTSD the reaction when you're in your body will do something or you think about you know, mm. that has you feeling maybe this is going to be seen, the person hurt me or something, or how am I going to react to that so it causes internal Yeah. So there's this physical you, you mentioned PTSD as one of them, anxiety, stress, anger is another one of them. Um, but this physical embodiment of that trauma and stress that you've experienced. Anybody else? Makes you want to fight. fight. Yeah. I didn't ask. Where is he? Can I bring up the baseball thing? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Okay. Um, David, after the service uh, yesterday, um, or yesterday, Sunday, last Sunday. Woo! Okay, this is going to be a long day. <laughs> Uh, after the service last Sunday, David came up to me and we were reflecting and, and uh, one of the things that uh, he mentioned is that when I was talking, he pictured, you know, I'm going to bring the, the image up, but the circles, um, he pictured a baseball diamond. And he was pointing out, because I had made the comment that uh, trauma is kind of like velocity, right? And that, and you can correct me if I'm saying this wrong, I've been processing it a lot, but if you notice on the baseball diamond, all the people that receive the velocity, velocity at the highest speed what do they wear? Yeah, protective gear. The people that are furthest away from the velocity, right? They're the most vulnerable, but they receive the velocity at a, at a lower speed. Well, I mean, unless it's a home run, but that's 100. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Right. We have nets around the backstop now. And when we don't, and when a foul ball goes, you know, we've heard, especially the past couple of years, how many people have been injured. Um, and, and I have, I've reflected a lot of, about that, is that the, specifically the people that are close to us have the highest potential to cause all of these emotions and feelings and physical embodiments of, uh, of this trauma and sin against us. And so um, there's some, a few things that I feel like are important for me to say. Number one, I, I personally, as a pastor, I do feel this pressure that there's some sense of resolution for you this morning, and I can't offer that to you. Um, I, I wish I could. I wish that, like, 
whatever, however long this is going to take me, whether it be 30 minutes or two hours, uh, <laughs> is, is that there will be this sense of peace and all this healing that will take place. But even though trauma can be instantaneous or the sins of other people can be instantaneous, the impact of that can be lifelong. And I recognize that. And so I just want to say that I do feel that pressure, and I want to speak that truth out to you, but at the same time, I think that's why I'm so grateful for this community is because I think that we'll go the long haul for this. Um, so having said that, there's a couple things that I wanted to point out. Um, go ahead, Tom. So the thing about trauma, and I would say even when we're, re we're, we're processing the sins of other people, uh, is that you can't do it alone, and you aren't meant to be alone in doing it. So I think there's this cultural narrative that says that we need to be by ourselves, that when difficult things to happen, we need to protect ourselves, or, or we need to go it along, or we need to fight, or we need to do this, or we need to do that. But I think that we see time and time again in Scripture, God created us for community, and that means that healing takes place in community, in community with God, certainly, but in community with trusted people. Um, and so you can't do it alone, and you aren't meant to be alone in doing it. Um, and what does that look like? Well, that can certainly look like spending time with me. I will say I am not a therapist, so I am not going to be your therapist, but I will try and pray with you, and I will try to journey with you and maybe what God's doing or how, does, how has this trauma or sin impacted your view of God and his character? I want to be there with you in that. I also have a really good list of therapists that you could go to, right? You're not meant to do this alone. Um, there's definitely resources. I, I said uh, Brett, Brett is in the back, um, and he has those four books again um, that I mentioned last week. And I'm serious. Like, if, if you even need to take that, I will buy new ones, okay? If you feel like you're, you're compelled towards your healing, take a book. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> the, the price is right, yeah. Thanks. Next time you need to wear a dress, though. <laughs> we could dress a girl, right? We'll make you one. Um, so then the next one is to-do lists will truly help, but they won't be enough. One thing that I've, I love about House of God is we are a, a congregation full of doers. Like, we get stuff done, if you really think about it. But that doesn't mean it's going to fix the problem. I mean, it will help with certain things. So like I, I mentioned, right, like you can take one of the books or you could read a book or you could go to a therapist or we can have a conversation. We could do all that stuff. And it still won't be enough because part of trauma isn't just doing, it's feeling safe enough to just be with God, to, to be with people in a vulnerable way. And you can't do that. You just have to embody it. And that's hard when you've been hurt or you don't trust God, for example. Um, and then I know that this can come off as a Sunday school or a confirmation type answer, but Jesus must be our starting place. I want to tell you why this morning Jesus must be our starting place. I really struggled. There's so many different instances. So I wanted to give you some passages that I think I talked last week about us as image bearers reflecting the image of God and then reflecting back to him in worship, right? You remember that? So this week, I want to show you how uh, you've read in Scripture, maybe heard before, where it says, the Son of Man. And some translations say, um, the human one. Jesus was the perfect image bearer. 
And he does something in his perfect image bearing. And I wanted to show some verses be, why I think Jesus must be our starting place towards this, this step of healing. The first one, if you wanted to write it down, is John 5, 1 through 19. And the translations are all from the New Revised Standard Version, so the red Bibles that we have in our chairs. It says, first, Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing on his own, but only what he sees the Father doing, for whatever the Father does... The son does likewise. There's an extra E there. Um, So, right, that image, that mirror image, he sees what the father is doing, and what does he do? He reflects it out. And he only reflects out what he sees the father doing. Similarly, that's an act of worship. So as he's reflecting out, he's worshiping, and it's reflecting back. The son does likewise. Okay, next one. Hebrews 1, uh, verse 3. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So you see those key words, right? Like reflection. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact, and I love that word, exact imprint. Not partial imprint, not like three-quarter imprint. He is the exact imprint imprint of God's very being. We're talking about Jesus here. And you can see in that he sustains everything by his very being because he is the word, as John teaches us. And we see that he purifies us of our brokenness. And what what does he do? He sits in power and authority at the right hand of the Father. The next one, John 1 uh, verse 18, no one has ever seen God It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. So prior to Jesus, I mean, this speaks to this distorted imagery. It's like people are looking for something. If you look at our cultural narratives today, if you look at your own life, if we're honest with ourselves, we're searching, aren't we? We're searching for something, for something, something that will make us whole. And so we chase after that. Sometimes it's like I feel, for example, trauma. And so the way that I deal with my trauma is that I fight, or um, I push people away so that I can feel whole. People are searching for wholeness, and it's found here, as he says, is that the only way that you're going to see God is by seeing me. The only way that you're going to see completion is by seeing me. I'll read a longer one for you. This one's from Colossians, kind of full circle, because this all started because I thought I was going to do a series on Colossians. This is what Colossians 1, 15 through 20 says. He's, it says, he is the image of the invisible God. Just let that dwell in your mind for a minute. The invisible God, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him, all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Click it one more time for me, Tom. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So that's referencing the resurrection. So that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood 
of his cross. I want you to focus specifically, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, Jesus. All the fullness of God. And then what does it say? And through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself what? Some things? Like a quarter of things? Three sixteenths? All things. Whether on earth or in heaven, how? By making peace through the blood of his cross. See, this is the mind-boggling thing for me. This is passage after passage after passage of Jesus saying, this is how I'm a perfect image bearer, okay? And then what does he do to demonstrate his perfect image bearing? The cross. What is the epitome of brokenness? The way that he showed that he's fully human and fully God is that he died on the cross. If you read Isaiah 53, I'm just going to read some portions of it for you. Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up, this is a prophecy about Jesus, he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering and acquainted with infirmity. And as one from whom others hid their faces, he was despised and we held him of no account. Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases, yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God, bless you, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. I mean, is that not a story of somebody that's a perfect image bearer being broken over and over and over again? There's something about the weakness of Jesus that we see his full image bearing. There's something about him being willing to die that shows us who he really is and who we become in him. So I wanted to take a step back, and that's where Mark 5 comes in. Uh, this is the image that I brought up last week, and just as a reminder, um, I'm going to use, I mean, they didn't have like a clip art for Jesus, so I just used <laughs> general man. Um, but remember, the blue is this divine, intimate relationship with God. The green represents the intimate, those people that are high-velocity people, right, that can really hurt you or help you. Family and friends, acquaintances. We said powers and principalities, the structures that operate in our lives. And then I added generations. So Jesus, John teaches us, is that he comes into the midst of people's brokenness. Now, remember, when people were to look to God prior to Jesus' coming, where would they go? They would go to the temple, the place where God's presence was reserved. But here we have this man who was born into vulnerability and weakness, and he goes all over the place with his kingdom. And what does he do? You're going to hit the next one, Tom. Is that, as the scripture tells us, he reflects perfectly God's heart for those people. Now, when I was um, going through the various passages, I really struggled. I was like, I, I don't want to just like what's called proof texting, right? So like I don't want to just like I have an argument and then I'm going to find some scripture to support my argument. I don't want to do that. I want scripture to speak alone for itself. And what I noticed time and time again is that Jesus in his vulnerability goes all over and he says, this is what the kingdom looks like. 
So what I'm saying is that he meets people in their sinfulness, one, or he meets people that have been sinned against, two, or he meets people that are deeply sick. I mean, like blind or leopards, whatever it may be. And then in this instance, demon-possessed. And he goes to them in their trauma and into their sin. It's not them coming to him like the temple. He says, I meet you where you are in your marred image, and I'm going to show you who I am. It's pretty beautiful, isn't it, if you think about it? Now, what's really makes for me, I know I've taught on this one in the past, maybe even this year, is that this is a really interesting circumstance. And the reason why I felt like this one was the one for us is because, I, go ahead, you can leave that one up, Tom. Um, is that all sort of, all of these things are taking place here in this story. Let me bring some context to this. So this is just after Jesus is stilling the water. So he's speaking out. He's showing his authority and power to his disciples on the boat. They're all freaked out. They're like, what's happening? So he shows his power and authority as he arrives on shore. Now, something that, that scholars debate on is actually what city he landed on. But what we can surmise from just this text is that he, as a Jew, was coming up to a land that was run by Gentiles. And how do we know that? Um, Jewish people don't eat pork. In this story, some of the principal people in this story are pigs. Pigs are unclean. Furthermore, He's stepping out, and where is he? like he's right on shore, and where what, what's right there on the shore? A tomb. Dead people. Another thing that's unclean. So just putting the pieces together, here we have this rabbi, this Jew. And remember, he's a perfect image bearer, but he's also the perfect Jew. And he's going up, and he's going to an unclean place full of thousands of unclean things. But why, though? That's always my question. But like, but why, though? (laughs) But why, Jesus? There's this man. You know, like right now, we've become obsessed with zombies and stuff like that. He's like, he's like the ancient zombie, right? He lives like he does. Goths in 2019 don't have anything on this guy, right? He lives in the tombs. He, he lays his head where day, dead people lay their heads, right? Like, this is his life. And he's a man that has an unclean spirit in him. And we don't know how he got that. That's the interesting thing about this. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they don't say how he got an unclean spirit, but he has one. Now, when I look around this room, I don't know how you've carried this sin. Maybe it's personal, or maybe it's the sin of other people, or this trauma. I don't know how it happened. That's what's crazy to me about this. Jesus didn't need to know how it happened for him to enter into the tomb, so an unclean place. Notice he doesn't care about what people think. He doesn't, he's not like, oh, shoot, what are the disciples going to think about me? He just goes. So this man, that no one could restrain him. Right, So all the powers and principalities, no one could restrain him. 
there was nothing systematized that could bound this man. This is how traumatized he was. This is how deeply he was living into trauma and brokenness. And remember, a demon-possessed person, is that something that they've self-inflicted? That's not how this. He's being inflicted upon over and over and over again. And to the point, no one could restrain him. He was very powerful, for he had often been restrained with shackles and chains, but the chains he wrenched apart. Have you seen anybody breaking chains recently? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I understand that metal softer. We have different ways of doing it, but he was breaking chains and the shackles he broke in pieces, and no one had the strength. No one had the strength to subdue him. So notice, not only is just flipping this around instead of reflecting healthiness in God's image, what was he doing? His, he was affecting his entire community. I mean, uh, if any of you have lost a loved one, what is something that we do, like, for example, on, in memorial of their death as we visit their gravesite, Right? Do you feel, think that you would feel comfortable visiting the grave when this guy's running around? Like he's impacting his entire community. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always howling. So his presence is felt everywhere else. This version says, and bruising himself with stones. Uh, the other versions that I've read, he's actually cut himself, Right? So he's self, like, look at what's happening. Is Not only is this trauma affecting him personally, but what is he doing? He's physically harming himself as a result of this. He's cutting himself. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and bowed down before him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he had said to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Now, knowing that he's in an unclean place and there's an unclean man before him, what would, what would be the appropriate response for the Jew of Jews? Back up. <laughs> he would run away, right? There's, a, there's this power struggle here. There's this authority struggle here. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? And I want to point this out for a minute. One of the things that I kept seeing over and over and over again as Jesus met people in their sinfulness or when they were sinned against or when they were traumatized, he always names the brokenness. What do you want? I'm blind. Can you heal me? Or his friends, the man that's crippled, his friends, he names the brokenness. And see, this is the interesting thing that I've, I'm not going to give you a to-do list, but what I've been realizing about when people sin against us and about trauma, one of the things that we don't like to do is we don't like to name it. We like to sweep it under the rug. And then what, is it ha what happens? It festers inside of us, and it builds, and we become bitter and angry. And on top of that, what do we want to do? That fight, flight, Right? But instead, what Jesus does is he names it. He says, what's your name? He calls it out for what it is. He exposes it. That's a vulnerable thing. My name is Legion, for we are many. So then there's this whole thing, this is where we know that it's a Gentile land, is there's thousands of piggies, 
that are there. And they're like, please, 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 please. No, um, verse 10, he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the, the country. I'm going to point something out in a minute, okay? But they're like, please, 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 just send us into the piggies. Let us go there. He's like, yeah, whatever. You know, you do you. Unclean, unclean. And they think, okay, we've won. And then what happens is they kill themselves. Uh, thousands of them. Verse 14, the swineherds ran off and told, uh, the swineherds, the people that take care of the pigs, uh, ran off and told it in the city and the country. Then people came to see what had happened. So now something's taking place. Jesus is showing up, and then people that are all in these places, right, what's happening is they're coming closer to what's going on. Verse 15, they came to Jesus and saw the demoniac sitting there, clothed and in his right mind the very man who had the legion, and they were afraid. Are you with me? Like, here's this guy that they were afraid of before. What are they afraid of now? As an image bearer, he's completely transformed. And Jesus heals him so much that here's this naked, broken man that's now completely calm, completely clothed. Right? And they're like, what just happened? <laughs> what just happened? Like, have you ever had those moments where, like, you just knew God was present in your life? Sometimes we get the, the goosebumps, the willies, right? Like, oh, my gosh. Because it's so obvious that God is in our midst. And there is a sense. I, we, I, you know, I didn't unpack the Greek in terms of the afraid. But there is a sense when, when you come face to face with the reality of God's love for you, and, and that's embodied before you, doesn't that provoke awe in you? It should. Because what is he doing? He's taking all those broken pieces and he's restoring them before your eyes. So people are afraid. Verse 16, those who had seen what had happened to the demoniac and to the swine reported it. Okay, remember how I said verse 10, he begged him, this is the demon, right? He begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Verse 17, then they, beg, they began to beg Jesus to leave their neighborhood. They just couldn't handle it. See, the, the power structures there aren't set up for restoration and reconciliation. They're broken. And Jesus is coming in the midst of all the brokenness, and he's saying healing and restoration and newness. And they're like, oh, we don't want that. We want to do it our way. But Jesus doesn't listen to them. Um, furthermore, he keeps talking. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed by demons begged him that he might be with them. Verse 19, but Jesus refused and said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown you. Superimpose this new man. What, is he, what did Jesus ask him to do? Reflect back into the world what I've reflected to you. This is the first Gentile missionary, by the way. So he goes into this 10 cities, and he's telling all the people, look at how much I've been restored. Now, 
Um, I'll, I'll be vulnerable with you for a minute. Uh, when I was growing up and I was really into drugs, uh, one of the things, and I, don't, I have no idea why it was popular, but we would take lighters and we would heat them up and then we would burn ourselves with smiley faces. Right? Yeah, it, it did. Uh, <laughs> it did. And so to this day, I can look at my arms and I can see the scars of that. They don't look like smiley faces anymore right? Because it's been 19 years. But here's this man. What did he do with those stones? He cut himself. See, the crazy thing about when God heals our trauma and heals our hurt is that, yeah, we still carry the scars from that. But they become living reflections of healing. So think for a moment. Think of those people that have hurt you, that you're carrying this weight and you're carrying this burden and you feel, I was listening to a song today, where you feel dead inside because of that hurt. You, and, and you feel dead inside because you can't fight anymore. You've been fighting for too long. And then God, through Jesus Christ, just comes into the midst of that and brings healing. Like, uh, how many of you would say that you're a fighter when somebody hurts you? Can you raise your hand? We're like, no, psh, get out of my face, right? <laughs> Jesus says what image bearing looks like isn't that you just need to be vulnerable and let people beat you up, but what he says is that I will go in the midst of it and be your protector. I will bring, be your healer. I will be your restorer. Jesus came close. See, Part of the thing that I've learned through this is that when I don't name the things that I'm going through and be honest about it, be honest about my feelings, all the things that you said to one another this morning, how it made you feel, when I'm kind of like, uh, whatever, uh, I don't want to deal with it, uh, or like I just get angry and that's my overarching reflection. I'm just going to, you know, heart you back. Jesus will let us do that. You notice that? Have you ever heard anybody before? Yeah. <laughs> I won't. I was just going to say uh, what other people are in our life, we're that person in their life. Right? That's not what Jesus wants to see. He wants to see restoration and reconciliation. So actually naming the hurt is a powerful thing. Because what we're saying is, who are we naming it to? We're naming it to Christ, and we're saying, will you come in the midst of my pain and my hurt and my trauma and my anger and my frustration and my doubt and my anxiety and my PTSD, whatever it may be, whatever your list is, can you show up? Um, and I love that this story is, the setting is a tomb because it's in a place full of dead things where a man comes to life again. So I chose this passage because here is a person that was having deep trauma and deep pain inflicted upon him, and by legions, right? And we see throughout the book of Psalms and throughout uh, the, the book of the prophets is constant stories of people hurting people, and we've experienced that in our lives. I want to tie a bow around this, but I can't. The only thing that I keep on feeling like 
God is saying to us is, can we name what we're honestly going through? And then that's that first step. But then the next step is actually getting the help that we need to work through it, to experience the healing. Because I don't think that the nakedness that we're supposed to experience is based off of trauma, that we're just stripped down and beat up. I think the nakedness that we're supposed to experience is vulnerability before God, where we can be completely healed. And that he, like, where did the clothes even come from from this guy? You know what I'm saying? Like, have you ever thought about that? This is like the garden story. God comes to Adam and Eve in their brokenness and looks for them and finds them and heals them and then clothes them. Here is this demon-possessed man, completely broken, but naked, by the way, right? And they come to him. Jesus brings healing and then clothes him. And that's us every day. More could be said, um, but I just want to remind you that... Uh, we are made in his image, and he brings healing through that. Um, I'm here for you, however I can be here, to journey with you in your brokenness and your sorrow. I have resources, right? I have people that will walk with you in therapy. Um, I don't think that we have to allow the sins of other people and the trauma of other people impact us anymore. Uh, I'll end with this. I love that the story includes chains because here was this man that they tried to shackle him and they couldn't, right? He was trying to break free, but it was still this constant cycle of, I'm free, chains. I'm free, chains. I'm free, chains. But here's a man completely free, completely new, and he doesn't have chains and he doesn't have to worry about the chains anymore, right? Let me uh, pray for us. Um, God, th- there I feel like there's a thousand more things that could be said, but there's nothing better than you meeting us in our most broken places. So I pray this morning, maybe it's a scary prayer, maybe it's a dangerous prayer, but we all carry stuff, Lord. And maybe we pushed it away or pushed it down, or swept it under the rug, or we've leaned too much into anger or bitterness, and it's just become a festering wound in our life. God, would you give us the the strength and the bravery to just put down these walls so we could experience your healing? That you would give us the strength and the bravery to know that we're not alone and that you will help us name our hurts, if we need to put pen to paper and just write it out, whatever it may be. But then, God, that you would begin this restoration and renewal process. Because the reality is, is that, as we've all kind of confessed, is that when people hurt us, it can deeply impact how we worship you, but it can deeply impact how we relate to other people. If we live lives that are completely covered up and we wear our suits of armors. God, I I just don't know how we can love people well. So I thank you that um, you have created and formed this community, that you are the head of this body. And so, Lord, I pray that, I know that I said that I would walk through the stuff with people, but I I pray that there would be others in this congregation that could walk through 
um, the pains and the sorrows and the traumas of others. God, I pray for uh, liberation and freedom from those that are hurting this morning. And um, I pray for rest, rest in you. And uh, yeah, we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.